0: Not the greatest, but great. <laughs> those of us that have the privilege of preaching and teaching the Word of God, those that have the opportunity to be a part of the flow of His service, see week in and week out evidences of the good hand of God in ways that human people just cannot put together. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Our God is interested in us. He is present, he is active, and we certainly ought to be responsive. Hebrews chapter 4, we return to 14 to 16. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time. Of need, Father, what a precious truth lies before us in Thy Word for this hour. Help us then to give mind and heart to it, for the benefit of our souls, and for the preparation of our lives unto every good work in the week that lies before us. And for that we will praise You in Jesus' name and for His blessed sake. Amen. Something or someone remarkable. Something or someone remarkable in magnitude. Something or someone remarkable in magnitude or degree. Something or someone remarkable in magnitude, degree, and effectiveness is the dictionary definition of the adjective great. Most of the time when we use the word, it is not true to that definition. But it surely is true in every sense of the word concerning our Lord Jesus Christ, as seen here at Hebrews 4.14. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus, is great in magnitude, great in degree, great in effectiveness beyond all others. The particular emphasis that we return to in this hour is the greatness of Jesus as our high priest, the one and only mediator between God and man. This text complements the declaration of Paul to Timothy, saying, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Here we are testifying in this due moment of time of our mediator, Jesus Christ. Now, before returning to the focus of the text upon our great high priest, I want to connect the truth of it to the logical development of the chapter, Hebrews chapter 4, And I also want to uh, connect it to the uh, developing sense of the truth of the book of Hebrews thus far. Let's first of all talk about this chapter, Hebrews chapter 4. The chapter easily is divided into four appeals that are made in the chapter. It has been called the lettuce series or the salad series of appeal because each of the words introducing the idea of appeal uh, are begun with the words, let us. Let us, verse 1. Let us, verse 11. Let us, verse 14. Let us, verse 16. The first appeal, verse 1, is for the believer to be governed by a righteous and healthy fear regarding one's spiritual direction and decisions. The child of God is saved by faith and is to live on earth trusting God. And belief is an ongoing concern for the saved and the unsaved. Believers must rightly relate to the cease of Christ's finished work on the cross. The chapter declares that there remains a Sabbath-keeping for the people of God. Let us fear. Secondly. Let us labor, verse 11. It calls for labor to our exercise of of, uh, ourselves attentively uh, to the spiritual matters of our life. We characterize this formally by the word persist, cease, after the Lord's finished work on the cross, and then persist in good works as appointed by God. Together, the life of the believer is a life of cease and persist. The third appeal, found in verse 14, has to do with clinging or holding fast, and particularly holding fast to our confession or profession, as it says in verse 14, our profession of faith, our faith in Christ. The believer is to cling to that confession of faith made in Jesus Christ, Uh, the word profession, is otherwise translated in the New Testament, Confession, and it is a translation of the Greek homologio, which we've often talked about as speaking of the concept of saying in agreement something in agreement with someone else that has uh, asserted a thing. And in the case of the gospel, we're saying the same thing about the Lord Jesus that God the Father has said about him, that he is our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hang on to that Confession. Cling to that confession would be the appeal uh, that is found here uh, in verse uh, 14. The active and ongoing sense of cling is often uh, referred to in Scripture as being steadfast. Believers are people who are saved and people who understand the appeal of steadfast, a currency in life in response To the Lord. Sometimes we say it, keep on keeping on. And then we have the fourth appeal in the chapter, verse 16, encouraging us to come and to come and to come. It's a present tense uh, uh, thought here. Uh, Let us therefore come boldly and come boldly and come boldly, come confidently, come confidently, uh, to find, as it were, grace uh, to help in the time of need. All four appeals. Uh, need to be seen in their connectedness as the chapter develops, uh, the salad series, the lettuce series, uh, as uh, we see it here in the chapter. And really, this idea of fear and this idea of labor and this idea of cling and this idea of come really can be summarized by another biblical New Testament phrase, namely in two words, watch and pray. Jesus said these same four things in two words, watch and pray. Just a word then, uh, in a quick addition to that chapter overview, uh, to the developing case that is taking uh, place as we continue to work our way through the book thus far. Back in chapter 3, verse 1, believers were admonished to consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. We said that the word consider, chapter 3, verse 1, means to gaze upon and to keep gazing upon the Lord Jesus in his roles as messenger, the great apostle, and mediator, our high priest. Now we add to that admonition to gaze or consider the mediator. We add to that admonition to consider the mediator, cling and come. So, three things that are developing in the book as it picks up in momentum uh, out of the third chapter and into the fourth. uh, Consider Christ, cling to the confession, and come boldly before the throne of God because of relationship with Jesus Christ. Cling to your profession in Christ and come by means of your great mediator to the throne of grace. We are wise to connect this in uh, our minds to the clinging uh, of our profession or confession of faith and our coming with confidence to the throne of God in relationship to prayer. This is the logic uh, behind the assertion that believers uh, 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 are confident that God hears and answers prayer. On what basis are we Confident on the basis of our consideration of Christ, on the basis of our clinging to our confession, on the basis of our coming boldly before the throne of grace uh, to get help in the time of need. So with that idea of the chapter in the book kind of summarized, uh, we return uh, to the expressions fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, 16, as we briefly treated them last week at the communion table to consider uh, the greatness of our high priest, Jesus Christ. Great because, number one, of his conquest having entered the very throne room of God. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Last time we made the comparison between the passage of the Old Testament priest through the outer court of the tabernacle, through the holy place of the tent, into the holy of holy place, uh, to stand before, as it were, the glory of the Lord as represented above the Ark of the Covenant. Christ, we said, is in a far superior place because He is a far superior priest. Uh, to the Old Testament priest. Uh, Christ is in the very presence of God the Father before the throne, which is described in our text as a throne of grace. Scripture depicts the Lord Jesus in the terms of of, uh, the furniture and the structure of the Old Testament tabernacle. The tab had only one door To God and Christ is the door unto God. There was only one way, one way of bloody sacrifice to God at the tabernacle and Christ is the way into the presence of God, the bloody way into the presence of God. Blood shed once and for all. Uh, Christ is the brazen altar. He's the lamb of God consumed. He is, in some way, depicted in every single piece of furniture that is located in the ancient tabernacle and temple. He is the laver of cleansing. He is the light of the world. He is the bread of heaven. He is the the bearer of the sweetest name uh, upon which the prayers of saints, like incense, rise before the throne of God. In the holy place... Immediately before the veil, the curtain, into the holy of holy place was the incense altar. Always kept burning with a sweet smell so as to prepare, as it were, uh, uh, the the atmosphere into the most holy uh, part of the tabernacle, which only the high priest entered uh, with the incense, uh, the smell of incense, wafting into the room. And uh, we are told in the book of the Revelation that the prayers of God's people are the incense before the throne room of God. And our prayers are dealt with and attended to by our great high priest. Now think of these connections. It's phenomenal. This is why we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Sweetest name of all. Jesus. The sweet name of the Lord. Our prayers like incense. Name the one who stands on our behalf before the throne of God. I don't go to God in my own name. I don't say it's Tim. I go to God in the name of Jesus who stands before the throne of God speaking and praying on my behalf. Why, you would think that people would flock to a prayer meeting hour knowing that they name the name of God and have the very audience of God when in prayer. Seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. <laughs> Let us hold fast our profession. Let's cling to our confession in Jesus Christ. He is before the throne. The New Testament depiction of the Lord Jesus in the terms of, of furniture is so complete that first John tells us that he is our mercy seat before the throne of God. And Paul tells us that in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It is little wonder then that he is called the great high priest. Great in magnitude, great in degree, great in every way. He is our great high priest. Number two, he is great because of his compassion for us as both God and man. Before we leave verse 14, uh, please note that we are speaking uh, about the person identified in the middle of verse 14 as Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, being his earthly name given with stress upon his saving mission, and focused upon his humanity and Son of God being the Lord's eternal designation within the Godhead and stressing his divinity. So the way in which Christ is referred to here as our great high priest immediately pushes us in the direction of the man who is first God, or the God-man, who is our mediator. Last week we stressed the thought that Christ, from verse 15, that Christ was untouched by sin and yet heartfully touched by sinners. Verse 15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. The word feeling comes from a Greek word translated sympathy, and uh, infirmities here, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but uh, he is not untouched by our our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as, or like as, we are yet without sin. We said last week, uh, and forwarded this awesome thought from verse 15, uh, that our Lord is untouched by sin. It's a great doctrine. The sinlessness of the Lord Jesus. He did not sin. He could not sin. Uh, The sinlessness of the Lord Jesus. He is untouched by sin. Yet, verse 15 says, he is heartfully touched by sinful men. Untouched by sin himself. Yet, he is touched, heartfully touched by sinners. Uh, It stresses, 15 stresses the Lord's personal detachment from sin and his personal attachment to sinful men. Christ heartfully responds to faith in any sinner, and he heartfully responds to the prayers of every saint. Think of that. Christ is uniquely poised to be touched by people. And when faith rises in the heart of a sinner, Christ responds to that. And when prayer rises from the lips of a believer's heart, Christ responds to that. He is detached from sin, but personally attached to believing sinful men. The word infirmities does not refer to acts of sin per se. The word means weakness, frailty, feebleness, and even faithlessness. He is touched by the, uh, uh, the infirmities, says the scripture, uh, of our earthly lives. While never sinning personally, yet the Lord Jesus personally grasps and relates to our weaknesses in the flesh. He is a sympathetic or a feeling mediator. He is uniquely qualified to represent, with full understanding, the interest of God the Father, because he is God, and the interest of sinful people, because he is a person, though not a sinful person. We are right to say and to sing that no one understands like Jesus and sometimes in earthly life no one understands but Jesus. Sometimes when I think and pray for the members of the congregation I must confess before the throne of God I have no clue as to what it must be like for them to live right now. What exactly is it like for Phil Van Zegren without Cheryl? What exactly is it like for Fred Moss without Jan? What exactly is it like for a man who once had great strength and ran a farm to now find it difficult to walk and to even make a service at church? What is it exactly like? What is it exactly like? Well, I can tell you this. However it's exactly like, I don't exactly know. And neither do you. It's why we should be encouraged to pray for one another. Because there is one who knows exactly what it's like to be those men as referenced. And all the rest of us. There's one that knows exactly what it is that we need in this very moment of time. There are times when we all will sing, no one understands like Jesus. But I tell you, in many days of life, for you, for me, many days in life, nobody understands but Jesus. Nobody really gets it like he does. What a phenomenal thing to be told by God concerning the way it works before the throne in heaven, concerning you and me. I do not have adequate representation in Washington, nor in Lansing, nor in Kent County, nor in the city center around which these communities here are built. But I have great representation before the throne of God. Who is it? Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man, my Savior, represents me so that I can have help in the time of need i tell you, this is kind of encouraging. I mean, it's a sunny day, and that does help. But honestly, there's sunshine in the soul when you start thinking about these kind of things. Well, then notice the third thing here. Uh, He's great because of the commodities that he makes available to us, namely mercy and grace. Last week I said you can't get mercy at Meijer. I said, you can't get grace on sale at Goodwill. (laughs) You can tell where I shop. But anyhow, uh, the old sacrificial system under the law, interestingly, provided no throne or means of grace. No one was ever saved by the blood of animals shed. But since Christ by himself purged our sins, and is seated on the right hand of God the Father, Hebrews chapter 1, we have access to the grace of God, and from that throne, grace is dispensed according to need. And it is on that basis that chapter 3 says, Consider the messenger and mediator of your profession, consider the apostle and high priest of your homologia, your confession of Christ, it is on that basis that we are to cling to our confession, and on that basis, as we'll see here in verse 16, uh, we are to come. The commodities of mercy, that which is deserved but not received, And grace, that which is not deserved, yet received. What do I deserve from God? Zip. And less than zip, judgment. The wages of sin is death. That's what's deserved. Death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The fact that I don't get that you don't get death for our own sin is strictly to be attributed to the mercy of God. A mercy that which is deserved but not received. Grace that which is not deserved yet received. On the basis of Jesus Christ, believers are exhorted to come confidently before the throne of grace in order to obtain, interesting word, It means to take hold of with the hand, to grab something with your hand, to take hold of it. And you and I are to take hold of God's mercy at the throne. Take holding of God's mercy at the throne. How do you do that? You do that by prayer. When you fail to pray in the morning, when you fail to pray throughout the day, when you fail to pray at night, when you fail to pray, uh, what you're failing in is you're failing to take hold of uh, that which is yours in Jesus Christ before the throne of God. Prayer is the way in which we take hold of uh, the mercy of God. We obtain mercy. Prayer is the way in which we can appropriate, as it were, grace. The flow and the river of grace flowing to and through us uh, uh, for our own b- blessing And the blessing of others. God does not deal with us as we deserve when we come to Him in Christ. Uh, We are not dealt with according to our sins, but we are dealt with uh, by the blood of Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. I I read a a marvelous paragraph, and I I probably should have copied it and brought it with me this morning, but I I read a marvelous paragraph from, from Isaac Watts, one of the Puritans in which he develops this whole thought of of the fact that, that as a person in relationship to Jesus Christ, I am his sin. I am his curse. He is my righteousness. That's the gospel. The gospel is... He died for our sins. He became sin for us that we might be made righteousness in God through him. And it's not a possession of my own sense of righteousness, though it's applied to my account. It's his righteousness. He took my sin. I take his righteousness. And when I take hold of his righteousness, where he is, ascended into the heavens at the throne of God, when I take hold of his righteousness, then I have the capacity as a believer to take hold of mercy and to open the window of grace. I have the capacity as a believer to take hold of mercy and to open the window of grace because of Jesus Christ. So let me just ask you, have you taken hold of God's mercy today? Have you opened the window of grace for the day? Because of the Lord Jesus and his greatness as high priest, you and I, with faith in his blessed name, can take hold of mercy, God's mercy. And we can experience, as it were, the grace, find grace to help us in every time of need. We don't deserve it. But that is exactly what our high priest secures for us. I'm interested in the word time, verse 16, therefore let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word time is the sense of time regarding seasons. Seasons of need the seasons of earthly life through which we are all passing. Uh, uh, Life is about seasons. Just like we're glad today to have it be spring and actually act like spring, and not like winter, which is gone and done. Uh, We like seasonal things. Uh, So it is that there are seasons in one's earthly life, from youth uh, to middle age uh, to old age. And in the seasons of life, your needs change. Some of you could give testimony to that. Because of our great high priest, we have access to God's mercy and grace for every age and every stage of earthly sojourn. Every young person in Christ can avail of God's mercy and grace. Every middle-aged person can avail of God's mercy and grace. Every old person can avail of God's mercy and grace. Uh, Here is biblical assurance that uh, nobody need be grumpy and out of sorts and feeling any longer like there's nothing they can do. For God's grace and mercy are available to us in every age and stage of life. The young man, the middle-aged man, the old man in Christ can avail of mercy and grace. And here's the deal. If indeed I today have mercy and grace from God, what possibly else could I need? And yet, you and I almost always construe our own needs in terms otherwise. We need to pray according to what God has promised to give. One of the foibles of the modern prayer meeting or prayer list is the idea that a bunch of details are necessary. Believers like to say things like, I just want to know what's going on with you so I can pray with intelligence, as if your being intelligent mattered at all in regards to prayer. As I said previously, I'll say it again. We love to sing it. It's true. No one understands like Jesus. But I got to tell you that over the days of my earthly life, Many, many times, nobody understands but Jesus. And if I were to ask you and press you today, who actually knows what's going on with you today, this week? Who really knows what's really going on with you? Why, might not even be the honey who is sitting right next to you that knows all that much more than the preacher behind this sacred desk? God knows. The Lord Jesus knows. And here's the deal, knowing that you are a child of God, I can assist you by praying with you that you would avail of God's mercy and grace according to age and stage as God has promised to give. I don't need to know necessarily you're going bald although it's kind of obvious from the platform <laughs> that you are. I don't need to know that you have a burp that goes up and then down and then around and then over and into the fingertips. I really don't need to know that. Uh, I, I just need to know that you, like me, that you, like all of us, need today the mercy and the grace of God for living Thereby, I am never in a second chair of disadvantage concerning praying for you or you for me. And when I pray for you, and I trust when you pray for me, that you have in mind the mercy and the grace of God. Because if I am experiencing the mercy of God today and the grace of God today, there is not a possibility of anything else that could even be needed. All our needs met in Jesus Christ. The hour's gone, but let me just end this way. We call this season spring. Spring. It's not deer season, it's not duck season, nor is it quite swimming in Lake Michigan season. But this season will give way to summer. And in that season, we might well swim in Lake Michigan. Summer then will give way to fall. And in that season, we may well hunt ducks or deer But regardless of yearly seasons and regardless of age and stage of life, every believer is welcome to avail themselves of God's mercy and grace by Jesus Christ our Lord. (laughs) Isn't this great? It is great because He is great. Great in magnitude, great in degree, great in effectiveness. And without equal. Why, knowing such things, you and I should have no trouble this week talking about the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you this morning for the listening ear and the opportunity to deal with such wonderful, wonderful things. To the fortification of our souls on the first day of a new week. Thank you for the gathering of saints. And may there be a joy among us as we move from this place out into the ebb and flow of life. For that we'll (laughs) praise you in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.